Good morning, everyone. Glad that you are here. We're digging another layer deeper into the series that we started this January called The Fine Lines, Navigating All of Life's Relationships. When I was thinking about today's theme, the theme is boundaries, I was actually thinking about a few times that I've been in social environments and settings where somebody has violated a boundary. Now, I'm going to share these examples with you. And if you can identify with those examples, what I want you to do is just give me a woo, okay? If, if you understand the reality of this, just, uh, just give me a woo, okay? You're in a conversation and the person that you're talking to keeps moving in towards you to speak more closely to your face. Anybody ever experienced that? Don't put your hand up if you are the one that's initiated that kind of contact. Those are called close talkers. Close talkers violate an unspoken, unwritten set of boundaries when it comes to social cues. They're fun to watch. It's awesome to kind of uh, play around with. Like if you're not naturally a close talker and you want to mess with people, just keep walking at them. See what happens. They start to shrink back, step back. It's pretty funny. Okay, then you've got the serial hugger. You've never met this person before, but they see you and they embrace you with a hug. Give me a woo if you've ever had that happen to you. Mm-hmm. God made those people. They are amazing people, but sometimes they just have to back up, right? Serial huggers. There are some of you in this room. I've seen it happen this morning. Somebody's brand new and all of a sudden they're being embraced and they're like, I don't know what's going on. We go into pencil mode when we don't know what to do, right? Don't hug them back, then they'll hug me again. Serial huggers, close talkers, serial huggers, they violate these social boundaries. Then there's the oversharer. Give me a woo if you've heard that before. Uh-huh. Now, this is the one of uh, the most predominant social boundary misusers that I have seen in my lifetime. The oversharer. We do not care what you have had for breakfast or what it made you do or not do in the bathroom later, okay? <laughs> Oversharers. Boundaries are all over the place. Sometimes they're a real struggle for us to understand, and I get it, because I hear the word boundary, and in my personality type, and in my gift mix, I go, ooh, something that I can deconstruct. But boundaries are actually super healthy. Back in 2013, we were living in Calgary, and there happened to be a once-in-a-lifetime flood that occurred in the city. I've got a photo of some of the aftermath of downtown. Submerged in water. Why? because the river overflowed its boundaries. When we don't have healthy boundaries in place in our relational constructs and in our relational settings, we can create unintentional and intentional chaos through our interactions. So that's why we're digging into boundaries. There's a reason, there's a purpose. We're gonna have some fun with it, but we're gonna dig a layer deeply and it might get a little bit prickly along the way. So just giving you a forewarning, okay? We're gonna be diving into the book of Ephesians chapter four. If you've got a Bible with you, please turn with me to there so that you can look at it and be like, oh wow, it's not just Jason saying it, it's actually in the Bible. And if you need a Bible, come see me or one of our staff team after the service. We would love to gift you a Bible of your own because we believe it is the best thing that you can start 
feasting on and learning from in this human experience. I'm going to be reading verses 17 through 31 from this chapter 4. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, true, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for angry, anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul language foul or uh, abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. This is a, this is a meaty piece of the, of the word, and so what we're going to do is kind of dig into it layer by layer, and some cautions just uh, from the outset here. We can easily read something like this and be like, okay, all we need to do in order to follow Jesus is perform well in terms of our behavior. The last thing I'm going to advocate for is called checklist Christianity. I don't want us being like, well, I'm ticking all the boxes, so woohoo, I'm good to go. No, no, no. Relationship is about spending time with one another. And here's what's going to happen. As you spend more time with Jesus, as you're aware of his presence working in you, being present around you, perhaps even working through you, you're going to unintentionally and intentionally become more like him. Where some of the things that you maybe were captivated by previously just don't matter anymore. He's going to give you what you need to be more like him. So as we walk through this code of conduct, keep that in mind. The baseline for all relational health and well-being here on earth right now in 2023 starts and begins with the foundation of having a relationship with Jesus who gave everything from his life so that you had the opportunity for this type of relationship. The gospel is quite simple. It's this. Believe that Jesus offered his life as a once and for all sacrifice so that you and I could live. That's what the gospel is. We believe who Jesus says that he is, the living son of God 
who died on a cross, raised to life three days later so that we could live. That is the gospel in its infancy, in its basic foundational principles, and yet it is absolutely complex when you start to live from that premise, including in our relational health and well-being. Paul is writing this letter to the, the Ephesian church, this, this cluster of people in the city of Ephesus in one of the Greek kind of communities back in the day. And so he's trying to help them understand that they've been invited into, because of this gospel message, they've invi- been invited into a brand new invet- adventure as human beings. And, and there's an expectation and a sense of responsibility that comes along with this new adventure. He starts this whole section of text by saying this to them. Do not live as the Gentiles do. Now some of us can get confused, and I I know I have been confused sometimes in my life when I hear that word Gentile. What does it mean? From a biblical perspective in the New Testament, there are two kinds of people. There are Jews, and there's everybody else, and they're referred to as Gentiles. That's it. Really basic principle there. So when he says... Do not live as the Gentiles do. What he's essentially saying to his audience is, don't let the world dictate to you how you should live. Don't let the laws of the land, don't let the values of the culture that you are in shape who you are. Instead, be shaped by the kingdom values you see in the life of Jesus. That's the baseline that we talked about, the starting point, the premise, the boundary for healthy relationships, helping you navigate all the complexities that exist in relationships. We're talking about complexities that are more than just a serial hugger, a close talker, or an oversharer. Let's walk through this code of conduct line by line. Here's what we got for the first one. Stop telling lies. There's an expectation. Jesus refers to himself as, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he says about himself in the book of John from the Bible. Because Jesus personifies truth, there's an expectation that those of us who are going to claim to identify ourselves with him, saying we're going to be, we're going to be followers of him, there's an expectation that we would live in and live out truth. So what that means is we have to stop telling lies. I had a habit as a young guy where I would tell a story in a slight little slant so that I looked better than what actual reality was. It wasn't a lie, but it was a lie. It was a white lie. Anybody anybody heard of a white lie before? How many of you have told one? Just don't raise your hand. Stop telling lies. We're supposed to speak the truth. And later on in scriptures, we're invited to speak the truth in love by the way we live and by what we say. There's an expectation, he says right after stop telling lies, there's an expectation that we are going to tell our neighbors the truth. Right next door to the Frizzells here in Brockville, Chris and Vicky are our neighbors. The other next door neighbors is a big, wonderful little park. So we only have pressure from the one side to stop telling lies. Chris and Vicky see in us what is true. So if we say, hey, we love Jesus, we love people, and they experience something different than that from us, then I am speaking to them a lie. We need to stop telling lies in the way that we live or in what we speak. And that's it's going to take a little bit of courage and some humility along the way. 
Stop telling lies. That's where we start. Then we go to this section. Don't let anger control you. I actually read statements like this in the Bible and I get a little bit excited because one of the dominant emotions that I feel as a human being starts with anger. What I'm learning with my counselor is that it's an infant type relationship. There are more layers to my anger, but I feel anger to begin with. I could be angry that somebody left the lights on. Don't ever leave the lights on in my house and walk away from that room. You want to make me angry? Do that. Worse is if you leave the lights on and the cupboards open. Come on. And so in those moments, I have a decision to make. I have to, I have to think, okay, Jason, don't let your anger control you. Don't slam the cupboard door or punch the light. And nobody punches lights, right? Because you're angry. Don't let anger control us. When we feel anger, how do we respond? A lot of times in our relationships, we use venom in our words when we're angry. Somebody comes and says, hey, you did this to me. And be like, oh, yeah? Well, check this out. Back in 2014, I saw you do this, and I'm still mad about it. We let anger dictate the way we interact with people. Somebody said something silly about us, and now all we do is spread gossip and slander about them. Somebody did something to us, and now what we do is we seek revenge. Listen, some of the atrocities that we have suffered, yes, they have to go through our justice system, one billion percent. But there are other things, other cues that we didn't pick up on or people in our lives didn't know they violated something that we're going to have to learn to forgive and get over. And it begins by not allowing anger to consume us and control us. Then it goes on from here. Quit stealing Use your hands for good work. Well, I was thinking about this, not quiet stealing. That's also a really good skill to have, though. If you're looking to steal, be quiet when you're doing it, okay? But the scripture actually says, quit stealing. Quit stealing and use your hands for good work. I was thinking about this, and I'm like, okay, probably most sea rotors and people that are here online or whatever, maybe, maybe they don't steal, and that's fine. But then I was thinking about it. I was like, well, what about the concept of time? You know, when we romanticize time, we talk about stealing moments with our loved ones, which is fine. But when we're in our place of work, and, you know, we've got 15 minutes till our shift is up, do we we take an extended washroom break? When our responsibility in our household is to do the dishes, that's our chore, And all of a sudden, we disappear because we got homework. Sometimes we violate this unintentionally or subversively. What if instead we embrace what we've been made for, which is to use our hands for good work? It's okay to feel tired at the end of the day because we've done good work, whether that's emotionally, physically, whatever our vocation happens to be, and if we are retired, whatever we put our time and our hands to because of the opportunity that we have as not having a, a nine-to-five vocational job of some kind, we are meant and expected to work. That's a good thing. Work is healthy when it's in balance. Because sometimes we allow work to steal time from our families and to steal time from our relationship with Jesus. 
So it's putting boundaries up around that reality so that we can be as healthy relationally as possible. Let's go on. Give generously to those in need. There's this expectation in the same verse. Quit stealing. Do hard work so that you can give generously to those who are in need. There's an expectation that we, as followers of Jesus, would give of what we have so that others could benefit. Makes no sense in the world. From a purely capitalist perspective, that others would benefit from our hard work. My first relatives on my mom's side landed in Canada in 1928. It's because of their hard work that I'm here today. They worked hard, being pioneers in farmland, doing odd jobs of all kinds to earn a way forward for generations of their family. They gave generously, not even knowing of my existence in that moment. There's this expectation that we would give generously of what we have and what our abilities are, not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of those who are in need. This next one, don't use foul, abusive language. There's an expectation that we would not only speak the truth, but we wouldn't be overly harsh and overly critical as people who identify with Jesus, if that's a label and a brand that you carry. There's an expectation that the what words you choose to say would reflect that relational connection with Christ and the value that every single human being has in our world. That's tough sometimes. When I meet a Montreal Canadiens fan, my language shifts in my brain. You fool and other language. You're so silly. But when you think about it, Language creates culture. The way we speak about something, like what, what is culture in and of itself? It's what we end up valuing and what we end up treasuring. And so the way we speak about something creates culture. If in a marriage relationship, all you have is abusive language between husband and wife, what, are, what cultural elements are you creating if they have children in that household? The willingness to tolerate abusive language and behavior. That's the culture you are creating with your words and with your actions. So there's this expectation if we're going to follow Jesus that we're going to refrain from, to the best of our ability, the use of foul and abusive language. Sometimes things change culturally and whatever, what was okay to say 15, 20, 30 years ago is no longer okay to say. So we need to make an adjustment in our culture. We need to walk away from using racist terms, homophobic slurs, or anything else that's deviant in terms of abusive language so that the gospel can shine through. That's the point. Check out this next one. Get rid of bitterness, anger, rage, slander. Like that's easy to do. There's this expectation that we are going to, when it bubbles up in us, we're going to do the hard work that it demands to to make sure these elements don't infuse their way into the fabric of our lives. Check out this next one. Be kind to each other. If there's anything that you walk home with today, 
that would be my prayer. Kindness goes a long way. Kindness is so very different than tolerance. Kindness is a willingness to actually know somebody. Tolerance is just putting up with their behavior. If we could be kind to each other, confession, this is probably the most often uttered words that we have in the Frizzell household for siblings. Be kind to each other. Our hope, our expectancy is that they would learn to know each other and from that space begin to develop a deep appreciation for the uniquely gifted and wired way that each one of them is created in. Kindness goes a long way. I think there's one more. If not, that's okay, because that's a long list. Now, we can look at something like that and quite honestly be utterly intimidated by it, maybe even defeated, and be like, my goodness, there's no chance I'm going to measure up, and kind of, that's the point. See, with, without Jesus living through our lives, there is no way that we can develop healthy rhythms and boundaries on our own. Several years ago, I had the privilege of reading this book called Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. And they suggest that there are seven environments or seven layers to boundaries. And so this is how we're going to wrap up our time together. I'm going to quickly walk through this list. And I'm going to give you some suggestions in those elements we read from Ephesians 4, how they can be practically infused into these layers of boundaries relationally that exist in our world today. And then we'll just kind of leave it up to the Holy Spirit to point out to us which ones need attention and work in our own lives. Here are the layers. First is physical boundaries. When we think about physical boundaries, sometimes we're like, okay, you close talker, be socially distanced from me. Now, that could be an expression of it, but when I think of physical boundaries here today in our culture and in our modern age, I think of it in two ways. Getting enough rest for our bodies and putting the right fuel in our anatomy. See, some of us do not have a great appreciation and value for the life that we've been gifted with. We look at ourselves and we're like, man, we see all our layers of deficiency and we don't see the creativity, the loving nature and and the absolute bountiful mercy that we've been given in being created the way that we are. Yeah, we're all broken and we all have gaps, but every every single one of us is is living a gift that we've been given by God, that we don't deserve and we did not earn. So what if we took the mindset of appreciation and value for that space? Here's what I've learned relationally about physical boundaries with with my own life. When I don't get enough rest, I get a little bit irritable. It's weird. Probably the only one on the planet that has to deal with it. But when I don't get enough proper rest, I'm irritable. And all of a sudden, these things that don't matter in a relationship, these frictions and these tensions, these unplanned scenarios become much larger when I don't have the proper amount of rest in my life. Sometimes that comes because I've given my life to worry or anxiety. Sometimes it comes because I've given my life to work or to pleasure or to anything else other than rest. If you are struggling with sleep, 
I want to highly encourage you to not only speak to your family doctor, but also get referred to a counselor because something could be going on subconsciously that you are unaware of. Our bodies remember trauma. When I am on the St. Lawrence River in a kayak, in a sea-doo, or in a boat, I get anxious. Because at some point in time in my younger years, I don't even remember this, I went down a water slide as a young little lad, not knowing how to swim, and I was underwater and somebody had to fish me out of that tank. I don't remember it, but my body does. Right? Physical boundaries, getting enough rest. If something is happening, something emotionally is outside of what is normal for you, maybe it's because some of your physical boundaries are being violated. Fueling our body with the good stuff. I'm not going to talk to you about eating more vegetables. Your mom can do that. But making sure what we are putting inside of us is actually producing what we need it to. And sometimes that means changing the way that we eat, depending on whatever diet craze that we're following in the moment. I'm kidding about that, by the way. Making sure that we have sustenance. Starving ourselves isn't an option, but eating wisely and healthily is is the way to go. Let's talk about sexual boundaries for a moment. Culturally, we are all over the place here because we've allowed our sexuality to be the, the epitome of our identity. And quite frankly, whenever we do that, we lose sight of all the other pieces that make us up to be human. Think about this for a moment. If somebody chooses to live a single life for the entirety of their life or happens to unintentionally and unplanned become a widow or a widower later on in life, and from that moment forward, they no longer have the opportunity or desire to express themselves sexually, does that make them any less of a human being? No, it does not. And so culturally, we've veered, we've veered into a ditch when it comes to this, where we've allowed our sexuality to become the foundation of our identity. Instead, we're reminded, if we're going to use the label as a follower of Jesus, that our, our Christ-centeredness, our connected to Christ, should be the foundation of our identity. And then that informs all these layers of boundaries. When it comes to our sexuality, let me simply say this. If you are in a committed marriage relationship, that's where all the illicit activity should take place. If you are not, you have the wonderful gift and opportunity to wait for the right time. Emotional or mental boundaries. Sometimes we have to construct these. Sometimes we've allowed people to have more access to our lives than they need and than they should have. Like we look up to somebody, it's good to have mentors and people speak into our lives, that's healthy. I have individuals that do this for me on a regular basis. They call me on stuff that I don't see. They point out my blind spots because I can't see them. They're blind to me. But there are times when we allow people to have more access than they should. For example, you see this play out in teenage culture all the time. It's super fun to watch. Somebody might enjoy something, like uh, a, a particular element of fashion, like, ooh, I love skinny jeans, they're so amazing and awesome, and I've got 42 pairs. And then one of their friends is like, oh, they're so passe, I like baggy jeans. And all of a sudden, 
Their entire closet and everything that they've devoted to becomes irrelevant because now they need something new. Because one person said something to them. Some of us have our entire days ruined because somebody said something about us. The emotional boundary that we need in that moment is to recognize what Jesus has said about us first. And knowing and being secure in our identity in Christ is the boundary that we need to navigate all the complexities of human-related interactions and challenges. Because guess what? Newsflash, you're not always going to feel great about yourself or other people. And sometimes they might even tell you about that. So constructing those emotional or those mental boundaries, whatever you need is healthy. I love that Bonnie and I can be like, Bonnie will text me and be like, I need a mental break. That means at least 15 minutes for her. When I write it, it's like, I need at least 50 minutes because I'm a slow adapter for myself to decompress, to make sure that I'm not going to say or do anything that I regret later on. I've got enough to apologize for already. I don't need to add more to my plate. Financial and material boundaries. What if we just stopped giving ourselves everything that we intrinsically desire in the moment? What if we stopped impulse buying? What if we, what if we did that just for a season, just for a moment, just for a scenario? What if we learned the value of saving up for something? See, when we don't have this boundary in place, we can easily get into all sort of relational tensions and complexities all over the place. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be generous to people who are in need. We should be. That's what Scripture has told us. But we need to be wise in what that looks like and what that feels like and how that's expressed. And maybe it means saying no to one of our things so we can say yes to something that Jesus is inviting us into. Do we really need a new car every year? Or is the one that we've been driving that has only 27,000 kilometers on it good for a little bit longer? Sometimes we just have to say no to ourselves so we can say yes to something else. Think about those financial and material boundaries, right? Like (laughs) five kids, you get us all kinds of questions. Hey, dad, can you buy me this? No. I cannot buy you that. Hey, Dad, when I graduate, I found my grad present. It's going to be a Camaro. (laughs) Okay, if it's a matchbox Camaro, you got it. (laughs) Boundaries are okay when it comes to relationships and finances and material stuff. Time boundaries. Here's one. Here's one. Sometimes the people in our lives steal more time than we would like them to. And so what if we had time boundaries? For those oversharers that want to soak up 90 minutes of our day, what if we actually said, hey, I've got about 25 minutes, so let me have it. Everything you got in 25 minutes. Sometimes we actually have to put boundaries in place with the amount of time that we're spending with another person because we're becoming more codependent than interdependent. We're allowing them to control us rather than having it be a mutually beneficial relationship. In a marriage, it's awesome to have hobbies that are not together hobbies. You shouldn't spend all of your time apart as a married couple. That's another challenge. 
but it's okay that I love to snowshoe and Bonnie would rather not. It's okay to have uniquenesses, like Bonnie loves to craft. <laughs> you don't want me to do that. I'm going to glue everything together. Deconstruction, I'm your guy. Time boundaries. Sometimes we are needing to be okay with spending time with ourselves. Lastly, we've got what they refer to as non-negotiable boundaries. Because all of these six layers, right, they can be in process and in flux depending on who we're connected with or who we're not connected with or what challenges we're facing in the moment. But then there's this layer of non-negotiables like this is something I'm never going to do. This is an immovable when it comes to who I am and what my relational health and well-being is going to be moving forward. One of those for me in my marriage is that I will never speak negatively about my wife to other people. I might speak it to her, and she might speak it to me. But that's the proper connection and relational interaction to have that type of conversation with. That doesn't mean I can't share silly stories that I've done or she's done, but at the end of the day, I will not speak negatively about my wife. That's my non-negotiable. For some others, that might not be a non-negotiable. What I want us to do in this next few moments is I want you to think through, do a, do a relational inventory in your own life. Think of all the relational interactions that you do have presently, your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, whether they're close to you, whether they're uh, a far distance away, uh, your friends, and then I simply want you to ask Jesus this question. Which relationships do I need to pay attention to right now? Because maybe some of them are a little bit chaotic because boundaries have to be restored in some way. Boundaries have to be reconstructed or renewed in some fashion. So if you're like me, I like to take notes on my phone. So pull out your phone on a note app or even a text message that you're going to write yourself later or a blank screen or whatever device or element or app writing thing you have on your phone to start writing and thinking about those layers of relationship and where do you need the insight of Jesus to help you grow, restore, renew, and even rebuild healthy boundaries and relationships. And maybe you're like, I don't have a pen or I don't have a, a phone, but I've got a pen. Well, use that. And if you're like, what do I write on? Use your hand. We all did it in high school, right? Whatever elements will help you remember what Jesus wants you to remember, how he wants you to be kind in all of your relationships. And when we do this well, when we have healthy boundaries, we're going to experience health in our relationships. It's a pretty simple concept, but it's very complex to put into practice. Let me pray for us and invite the Holy Spirit to continue to speak to our heads and to our hearts. Jesus, it's never easy when you think about the relational health and well-being of our own lives. We're relational beings, and so many of us do relationship differently than other people. And it's, it's easy to get into a mindset where we compare ourselves to one another and see that we're less than, or even in other cases, better than somebody else. And so, God, I pray that 
we would resist the temptation to do either of those two things. And instead, that we'd find a layer of courage and comfort and humility to look through our, relation, our own relational inventory, to look through our interactions with people, those that are consistent and those that are random and sporadic. And if there's any element that needs course correction, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak that into our lives. You'd allow us to identify where we need to recreate, restore, or renew healthy boundaries so that we can experience life to the full when it comes to relationships. I pray for marriages. I pray for co-parenting relationships. I pray for grandparent-grandchild relationships. I pray for parent-child relationships, neighbor-neighbor relationships, co-worker relationships, supervisor and supervisee relationships. All the things that can create tension and layers of chaos in our world. Would the rest of this year, 2023, just be a catalytic experience for us as sea roaders when it comes to healthy relationships? Would would others take notice as things get realigned and restored and renewed? And would that allow us the privilege to speak the truth about who you are into those situations, personally or interpersonally, when it comes to those that are connected with us and struggling with the relationship outside of our connection with them? Father, would you bless and protect us? Would you make your face shine upon us, be gracious to us. Would you grant us your favor and your peace? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.